let's go. Y'all ready to get funky? Oh my. Hey, you, dare to think. Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. This program is closed captioned for the Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Green chili for everyone. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly Zilly. Hi. Warning, the show might trigger you if you don't love the gospel and college students. It is always great to have a campus pastor with us in the Student Union, and today we have one, Reverend Dan Silsley from Wittenberg Lutheran Chapel in Grand Forks, North Dakota, serving students at University of North Dakota. Go Fighting Hawks. Did I get that right? That's right. Because it used, it used to know? be the Sioux, and I imagine there's a yeah. lot of diehards. Um, it's still the Sioux for many. Yes, Yes, and I, I I've noticed that when I when I've driven around up there, there's still certain like like stone things that were set in stone that they kind of can't get rid of that have Sioux all over it. So that's right. But uh, where is for for our listeners? Not everybody is familiar. Uh, they probably know that North Dakota is north of South Dakota, but what part of North Dakota is Grand Forks in? Grand Forks is on the very eastern side on the I-29 corridor, about, oh, two hours south of the Canadian border. Okay. And uh, and as most people would surmise, it gets a little cold up there, right? Yeah, it gets pretty chilly. I think it, we got down to 60 below this past winter. Is that with or without, without the wind chill? I've been up, my my wife's in North Dakota, and I've, I've seen 45 below without the wind chill. That's, I think, my yeah. record. Yeah, oh, yeah. So plugging your cars in, you know, when you plug your car in at night and it still doesn't work in the morning, you know that it just better not go anywhere. Yeah, you just stay home then. Yeah. Yeah. So now you have been there for how long? It's been about exactly two years. And you, uh, your first call was, if I recall, it was in Oregon? Yeah, Eugene, Oregon. I served there for about six and a half years. Okay. You know, I was just out there this last uh, this last February, and they got hit. You might recall this; they got hit with like 15 inches of snow, mm-hmm. I, which mm-hmm. never happens. And I got totally stranded there for two and a half days. <laughs> well, it's not a bad place to be stranded, honestly. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny though because nobody knew they didn't have shovels, they didn't know what to do. Yeah. They're like, "Well, what do you do with this stuff? I don't know. You sit around and watch it melt, I guess." Yeah, when we lived there. It snowed, I think, every year that we lived there. And every year, people were like, this is very strange. Yes. This is unusual. Yes. For six years in a row. Yes, it's, it's just the norm. That's all. It just yeah. snows a couple times a year, and that's all. And yeah. But uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you're a full-time campus pastor. Uh, tell us a little bit about campus ministry there at UND. Yeah, so Wittenberg Lutheran Chapel uh, has been here just, a, well, over 50 years, 1964 is when they started serving here, uh, the students at UND. And it's it's a mission of the North Dakota district. And so Wittenberg is kind of unique in that we're not a, uh, we're not a full-time you know, congregation, a regular congregation that also does campus ministry. We are a mission of the district. And so all of the people who attend here are students at UND, uh, which is, is kind of unique and, and a lot of fun. Um, and so, you know, we do 
probably a lot of the things typical campus ministries do. We have divine service every Sunday. We have Bible study after divine service with lunch, and we have Bible study on Wednesday nights with supper and uh, do various activities throughout the year. And um, it's a joy to serve these students here. It's 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 very different from a typical parish, but uh, sure. But I mean, we have a, a lot of fun and a lot of really good discussions. No, I've I've always told people that uh, if you if you want to feel joyful about the future of the church, all you got to do is go spend some time in a campus ministry. Um, yeah, it's true. Because I I'm amazed as someone that didn't really go to church all that much in college. I'm amazed that they even come. Um, given given the climate that they the things that they had not the climate in terms of like like fifty below, <laughs> although that too, but uh, um, but the climate in terms of just uh, the whole secular progressive mindset in um, the post Christian increasingly post Christian culture that we're kind of facing. Um, but I imagine you have a pretty good relationship with some of the local churches, and isn't your dad a pastor at one of the local churches, or is he is he down the road? He's down the road in Fargo. Yeah, he's been at uh, Grace in Fargo for about ten or eleven years now. Yeah. Now, is he is he a Bison fan or a Fighting Hawk fan? Oh, he's he doesn't follow anything. Oh, okay, good answer, Dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, the reason why I wanted to have you on is that you you just wrote a book that just came out um, a couple of months ago now in early June called "Misquoted: Rethinking Commonly." misused Bible verses. It's from Harvest House Publishers. Um, how did you get the idea for this book? Well, it was kind of uh, being at the right place at the right time. I was I was doing a Bible study in Oregon on misquoted Bible verses, and uh, that kind of came about because this was coming up in conversations with parishioners, and so I would ask them to send verses that they had heard throughout the week, send me these verses that were being misused, you know, on a greeting card or on TV or sure. if they had conversations with their friends and a Bible verse came up. And so I compiled this list and we were doing Bible study on these things. And then at the same time, Harvest House in Eugene uh, was also thinking about publishing a book on the same topic. And there happened to be one of the editors there that was a member of our congregation. And so she connected us and i guess the rest is history but, oh that's that's so, the way to do it yeah i didn't really sit down with the idea to write the book but it kind of came out of that experience. well I, lo I love that because it just flows from the ministry that you're already doing and um, god has a way of bringing these things to light that need to need to get a wider audience and hopefully the show will help out a little bit with that uh, what do you hope this book accomplishes well the whole point of the book is really to restore uh, a, a proper understanding of the scriptures, really, uh, because when we understand the scriptures properly, um, we actually see Christ everywhere, and therefore we have uh, true comfort in the midst of the various sufferings and experiences that we have in life. And uh, when, we, when we see the scripture for the fountain of, of hope and comfort that it is, um, it's, it's this wonderful a gift that God has given us. But when we misuse it and we misquote it, it's always to our own ends, and we actually um, strip it of its of its comfort and its promises. And so my hope really is just to help people think more and understand more about the Scriptures as the Scriptures um, make the claim about themselves that it's all about Jesus. And of course, the age-old Lutheran question, uh, in order to understand the scriptures, you have to get uh, down to, uh, well, what does this mean? 
and what does it mm-hmm. actually mean and not just what do we want to project upon it or, or misuse it or misquote it. And that's mm-hmm. the title, Misquoted, Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses. And you can get this, um, and again, it's by Harvest Publishing House, and it, it looks like Amazon's probably the, the easiest way to get a hold of it. I, I Last time I checked, it's like it's a little over nine bucks. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not going to break your bank. It's 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 fantastic. I have I've read probably two thirds of it in preparation. Very very easy read. Very very well thought out. Uh, fantastic. So fantastic. I thought that we might not just have you on today, but we might have you on a few times here, and kind of uh, kind of singled out about five or six different verses uh, that we can kind of discuss. And uh, so each of the next three weeks, going to grab three of them, and maybe before Christmas time. Somewhere around there, we'll pick up a few more and uh, spread the wealth around a little bit. But uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, I love your introduction. I mean, usually introductions are, are fairly stale and boring. And the first words of your introduction, they just they just jump out at you. You, you, you almost, it's just, this is like the greatest first five, six, verse, six uh, words of an introduction ever. The Bible is not about you. Wow. The Bible is not about you. Tell us about that. Why did you start off? What, what does that mean, and why did you start off that way? Well, uh, what it means is that the Bible is not about you. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> wow, you just opened my eyes. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's what it means. No, that's, but it, but it's, it's so simple, but it's profound. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Well, and the reason I started that way is because not only does it grab your attention right off the bat, but it it challenges a very, very popular idea that this the Bible is all about me uh, as an individual, that it's that I should be able to find myself on the pages of the scriptures, um, whether that's the scriptures, you know, giving me advice for how to have a better life or um, how to be more successful in some area or whatever. Um, but the the Bible just is not about you. It's it's um, it's about it's about Christ and Christ for you. What Christ has done for you. So uh, that's what I meant by that sentence. Is no, the Bible I, is not about you. And, and you know, it's a story of salvation and and story. Not that's maybe not the best word. The um, the the acts of salvation through which Christ has stepped into our flesh and conquered sinful sin our sinfulness and death and uh um and destroyed that final enemy and is is suffering and and rising from the dead and so good thing it's not about me right because it wouldn't be a story of salvation if it was about me um so um now you start off um and kind of going in the in your introduction talking about some some basic presuppositions um, a lot of people have presuppositions that they they kind of take when they when they identify the task at hand, and, and you have some too. What are some of the things that that you think that we always have to keep in mind whenever we're going to take a look at the context of the scriptures as a whole in terms of how we interpret things? Yeah, uh, it's it's important to keep in mind that nobody approaches the Bible without presuppositions. I right. mean, everybody is you can't just read the Bible sort of naively without any kind of presuppositions. And so it's important to know what presuppositions you do have and are those presuppositions informed by the the scriptures itself. 
And so, yeah, I list, I don't know, five or six of them here. Um, the first is that the Bible is enough, and it is God's self-revelation to mankind. So if you want to know about God, you're going to go to the place where God has revealed himself, and that's in the scriptures. Um, and because that is the word of God, therefore these scriptures are inerrant and infallible, which means they can't lead us astray. Um, they, they will lead us into the truth, not into falsehood. Hmm. Um, another presupposition is that the Bible uh, does stuff when it is proclaimed. Hmm. It is, the, the technical term is it's efficacious. It actually accomplishes something. That when the, the, the law and the gospel are proclaimed into someone's ears, the Spirit uses that to actually bring about their salvation, to forgive their sins, to give them the promises of Christ. So that when we're reading the text, we're not just sort of reading a stale book that, you know, just some guy happened to write. This is God's living living and active word. Um, another presupposition is uh, the relationship between my reason and the scriptures. So if I encounter something in the scriptures that challenges my reason, um, it is my job to figure out where I'm wrong not my job to figure out where the scriptures are wrong. Well, that's, that's, a big, really, that's a big one for people. It, it's huge, yeah, because I want to, often as, as sinners, we want to place our reason above the scriptures, um, and that's where we run into problems. Um, and then important, finally, uh, I presuppose when I encounter the scriptures that they are not about me, but they are all about Jesus. And the reason I have that presupposition is because that's what the scriptures themselves claim. Jesus himself says that these uh, these words are all about him. And so it's my job then to try to find Jesus in every page of the scriptures because he says he's there. And Luther pointed out that you got to look for Jesus under every stone, right, of the scriptures. And he meant the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jesus is everywhere and he's there for us. So great stuff. So the first one that we're going to look at today, uh, let's dive right into these. Um, God loves you just the way you are, and uh, and kind of the the text that goes with that. First John four eight. Uh, give us a little bit of background on this, and 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 uh, maybe uh, do you have any stories that kind of bring this to life a little bit? Yeah, well, a note on the titles of the book, by the way. Okay, they are they are the claims made by people. Um, the titles are not what I'm putting forth as what the scriptures teach. Right. So the titles are kind of satirical in that way. But, sure. That's um, pretty important because otherwise if somebody just reads through the titles, they're about like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's got it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the claim, and you start off, you kind of have a, an interesting, you start off with a claim. You have like three C's. Why don't you tell everybody what those are? And it kind of gives us some, some structure to this here. Oh, yeah. So, so for, for each uh, chapter, I have basically three sections. We consider the claim that people make with the verse. And then we consider the context of the verse, which is so important to understanding God's word. Sure. And, then we, and then we talk about uh, the comfort that comes when we understand the verse in its context. So that's how every chapter is laid out. And I think, I think that's helpful to keep the book organized and, and coherent. So the claim... That goes along with yeah. God loves you just the way you are. What's the claim? Tell us about that. And how did you kind of come to realize that you were maybe uh, not, maybe have a personal example of this, as I recall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a very popular thing that uh, we even tell our kids sometimes, right? It's, it's a tempting thing to say that God loves you just the way you are. 
the Veggie Tales, God loves you and He made you special kind of thing. Um, and uh, the verse that we maybe go to is is God is love, right? And it's this idea that God is is just kind of this um this uh, well one example I use in the book is that He's this grandfather in the sky that just loves everybody. He overlooks sin and and He just loves. So God loves you just the way you are. Um, one example that I use in the book that kind of challenged this thinking for me was when I was a student actually here at UND. I started my freshman year here, oh, and I got okay. involved with uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, there was going to be a, a group on campus from Westboro Baptist Church, and if you've heard about them, you know, oh, they yeah. have a reputation. Yeah, They have a reputation for, you know, God is not love, basically. They will hold signs talking about who God hates and counting the days that certain people have spent in hell and this kind of stuff. And they specifically target homosexuality. Yeah, um, right. I, and, I, as a campus pastor in the University of Wyoming, I got there right after the whole Matthew Shepard uh, situation, oh, which kind of started, it's 20 years ago now, but it kind of started the whole, uh, the, the whole, um, <clears throat> hate crimes legislation and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, no, I re- I remember them coming to picket and it was very tough. I, I wanted, yeah. I wanted to go after them, <laughs> frankly, cause yeah. it, was, it, it was so infuriating to my students and I, that they, that while we appreciated their zeal and, and I suppose the message that, uh, yes, God does speak to this, that they, they didn't have love. They weren't there to yeah. uh, bring people to repentance. They were there to tell them they're going to hell and there's nothing they could do about it. Right. So anyways, you had so your you, own Westboro Baptist experience. Yeah, and my experience was as a student, you know, and I was a freshman and it was kind of my first, I was involved in this group and it was our kind of one of our first events. And, uh, and since this group was coming uh, spouting hate, we decided we would uh, counter with, with love. And so we got all of these t-shirts printed up um, with big red words on them God is love and then first John 4 on the back of the shirts mm-hmm. and and we went to counter protest you know and uh, the thing about Westboro is that they often will not engage in conversation with you they'll just usually stand there um, and but I was trying to talk to this one guy who was holding a sign and standing on the American flag and yeah. and um, and he looked at me and he said uh, he he son you don't know what the love of god is and it really took me back you know i'm i'm a pastor's kid i've gone to church my whole life i know what god's love is sure um but reflecting upon it i realized that this guy who i i really had anger towards had a point in the way that we were approaching the situation i mean all we were doing was coming and spouting god is love god is love god is love taking these three words from the scriptures and slapping them on a shirt, but we weren't actually proclaiming what that meant. What does it mean that God is love? And uh, to the Westboro Baptist church folks, I'm sure it just sounded like God overlooks sin. That's what it means that God is love, which is not of course what we meant. Hmm. Um, And so this experience really made me think, what do we mean when we say God is love? And when we look at the scriptures, it doesn't mean that God just loves you. The, just the way you are, um, that there's actually a shape and a form to God's love that is objective and and actually a wonderful promise. 
Now, you mentioned there, there are different, you mentioned one of these, the, the grandfather. What are some of the other ways that people tend to, tend to uh, uh, project um, some false views of how God is when they think about these texts, in addition to the grandfather one? Yeah, God, so God the grandfather. Um, another one is God the hopeless romantic. So um, this is like the emotional understanding of God's love, that God's love is this great affection and emotion that he has for you. And that when we say God is love, it's that he may see your foibles, but he, his great affection sort of washes over them because he just loves you so much, you know, kind of a romantic view of God's love. Um, and uh, the, the other one would be God the hard-nosed father, so that the God of tough love. You know? No son of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you, you have my reputation to uphold, son, so you better behave like you should, and then I'll love you. So bring home a, a report card that looks good, and then you'll have my love. So it's love that you have to earn from God. So I think these three are actually how most people perceive of God's love in some way, um, as a, a grandfather, a hard-nosed father, or just as this hopeless romantic. Uh, Unfortunately, none of those require Jesus, and none of them are taught to us in the Scriptures. So if you could go back and, and talk to this gentleman um, from Westboro Baptist, what could you what would you say to him if you could go back and say something different now? Well, I think we would put the verse back into its context, uh, because when you, when you read about uh, God's love in First John and elsewhere, Romans 5, John 3.16, in all of those places, God's love is attached to the objective act of Christ Jesus on the cross. Um, so God is love is shown to us in the flesh of our Lord Jesus. Um, so John 3.16, God loved the world like this. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, um, for God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. Um, and then 1 John, God is love. Um, and then in the, the verses following that, he goes straight to the, the death and resurrection of Christ. And so if we're going to talk about God's love, we can't leave out Jesus. Hmm. And so, you know, I would probably ask this, this fellow— um, where is Christ in all of their proclamation? What does Christ have to say to these situations? And and maybe there's a more nuanced way that we could go about these conversations with law and gospel, uh, not just the hate of God, um, and not actually just the hopeless romantic God or the God of tough love, but but the God who reveals Himself in Christ. And obviously, that's that's you. You got right to the comfort part. I mean, that, that the comfort part kind of comes naturally. Once you get it right, there cannot help but be comfort because the whole point of, of God's Word is to bring us that comfort uh, by telling us the story of Christ, who He was, and what He has done for us. Um, you know, you work with college students. You've got a couple years under your belt, and I know you, you, you worked a little bit with college students in Oregon as well. Um, why do you think this, uh, how do you think this kind of relates to them? I think, uh, I think that college students, most of them have probably heard their whole life that God loves them just the way they are. Um, and so that their perception of God is kind of like their grandparent. Um, or, or they may have had uh, pretty stern 
upbringing. And so maybe their perception of God is that um, God loves them if they prove themselves. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I have to bring home a good report card. Otherwise, my dad and maybe God's not happy with me, right? Um, but to remind them that God, God's love for them is revealed in Christ, that their identity uh, as those beloved by God is all bound up in Christ, not in their performance, not in God's sort of overlooking or, or excusing of their sin, um, but in the one who has come and, and paid the price for their sin, um, who has died on the cross to save them. And so I think for college students, this is, is very applicable um, as they're looking for meaning and identity and security in this time of their life, we can say, look, all of that is given in God's love shown to you in Jesus. Most excellent. That's a great place to stop. Again, we can get this uh, get this book, folks. You can get it from Amazon.com. It's about nine nine bucks uh, thirty nine cents. The last time I checked, Dan, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, next week, we're going to take a look at uh, the claim. God will help you accomplish your dreams. We'll look forward to exploring that with you next time. Take care. You too. Thank you so much. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help. <laughs>